so good to be with you guys this morning. It's so good to be back. I was, uh, I was gone last week, my wife and I. We missed you guys. We were at, uh, in St. Petersburg, Florida, Berg, yeah. St. Petersburg, Florida at the beach with no kids. It was brutal. Several days at the beach, just my wife and I. Uh, brutal, brutal. But God, God got us through. No, I'm not going to lie. It was, it was good. It was a really good time to be together. It was. But we are glad to be back. We're glad to be back with our kids, with you guys, our family. We are so blessed to have such an incredible church family. So we missed you guys. Glad to be back. With that said, I'm excited about this new series, this gospel sermon series that we're about to dive into. I've been excited about this for a while now. So the next several weeks, we're going to be diving into this series. With the, the, I mean, the main focus is always the gospel, but we're just going to be diving into this topic a little deeper here. So um, this word, this gospel, right, the word the gospel, we, we toss this around a lot. We talk about the gospel a good bit. You know, we talk about how important the gospel is, right? All the time as Christians, we're talking about the gospel and how important it is. But here's the sad reality. So many Christians really don't know, really don't understand the full gospel. So many Christians don't understand the full gospel. And if this is so important, if this gospel message is so important, it begs the question, well, what exactly is it? What exactly is the full gospel? Because if it's really that important, then we should understand this, right? We should want to know this. Gospel, the word gospel, it actually means good news. It means the good news, right? That's what gospel means. But the thing is, though, if we know it's about good news, what is good news? It begs this question, what exactly is good news? See, I'm a father. I've got two kids. Um, one of my kids is actually a one-year-old, Liam. Um, and so good news for me is if I find out that my one-year-old is now potty trained. So what that means for me is I no longer have to like, change any of those stank, nasty diapers anymore. That's good news for me, right? So what is good news? Is this the kind of good news we're talking about here? No. Not at all. It doesn't even come close to the kind of good news that we're talking about because the good news we are talking about is the good news, the good news that trumps all other good news. And I'm not talking about it trumps all other good news. It's a reference to Donald Trump, the president. The man that we are talking about has, Donald Trump has nothing on this man. The man that this gospel message, this good news is centered on. The guys as Christians, we got to get to the point to where we understand. We know the gospel so well. And we understand how good this news really is to the point where we can't even imagine not telling as many people as possible about this good news. Like, in fact, it would be like a crime for us not to tell as many people as possible because it is that good. And we are commanded to tell people as many people as possible about this good news because it's that good. It is that good. And when we understand the word of God, when we understand the gospel message in its entirety, then as we look through the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the different chapters, the different books, what we'll begin to find out is everything in the Bible points to this good news. Everything points to it. And that's what we're going to be diving into as we dive into this gospel series. We're going to be going through a lot of different themes, a lot of different stories throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, to show how everything points to this good news, the gospel message of hope, freedom, and redemption. And we're going to be kicking this off. We're going to be starting this in the beginning, like literally in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1 through 3. So if you've got your Bible, break it open to the very first book, the very first chapter of the very first book. We're going to be starting there. So buckle up. We're going to be moving kind of quickly, skipping around different places. We've got a lot of ground to cover, but we're going to be talking about the good news, the best news that has ever been told or ever will be told. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much 
for this good news, the gospel message that you've given us. God, I pray that you help us to dive into this topic and, and not just to learn about it, but I, play, I pray that our lives are affected by it, transformed by it. I pray that you help us, teach us, show us how this is all about what you have done for us. It's all about you and what you have done for us. Help us to see that. As we're reading through Scripture, help it to become more than just words on a page. Help us to see and know and understand what you have done. And I pray that you impact us and help us to live our lives in light of what you have done for every single one of us. It's available for every single one of us. I thank you so much for that. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just flood this place, that you flood our lives, this environment, this sermon that you take over. This is all about you. This is your sermon. You take over. We are your people. Convict us. Open our hearts. Open our minds. Transform us. I pray all these things in your mighty and precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So the big idea is the gospel is about relationship. The gospel is about relationship. We're going to be diving into this idea, this this fact, uh, that the gospel is about relationship today. So let's let's kick this off in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, which says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now here, the very first, like, sentence in the Bible, it's so, it shows us so much. It screams so much at us. We can, dwell, we can, we can see so much in this, this one sentence, the very first sentence in the Bible. For one, we can't skip this verse. We can't go past this verse without knowing who the Bible is about, without knowing who it's about. It is all about God. It's all about what God has done. And this other thing that we see is God is this creator, and he's not just a creator, right? He's not, I mean, we think about like creators, designers, inventors. You got Michelangelo, Thomas Edison, all these other guys. Not like that. I mean, I'm talking about the creator. He created everything, literally the entire universe and everything in it. He created from absolutely nothing. Spoke the word, it's there. It's there. He didn't take a bunch of this like material and tools that are over here and start making something. He made the entire universe, everything in it, out of absolutely nothing. Spoke matter into being literally that's the kind of creator that we're talking about here and he exists outside of time right he exists outside of time so, so often we get bogged down by different things that we've got going on our, our schedules our time frames god does not exist in our time frames guys he's outside of time he is the creator of everything the creator of everything outside of time and because of that we also know that god is not dependent upon anything or anybody god is not dependent upon anything or anybody but the entire universe and everything in it is completely dependent upon god let me say that again god is not dependent upon anybody or anything the entire universe and everything in it is completely dependent upon god think about this the very air you breathe everything in life everything is dependent upon god a lot of times in life we'll get bogged down by our situations, our struggles. You know, how am I going to pay my bill? What about this relationship? What about, you know, my job over here? I don't know how I'm going to do this. I got this struggle. I got this this issue with addiction. How am I ever going to get through this? And what we'll do is we'll cling to all these things in life, like a green piece of paper or a relationship, you know, a marriage, a job, money, whatever else. All these things that literally could be there one second and bam, gone the next. And we put so much into these things. 
these material things. They can literally be there one second and gone the next. Guys, the only thing, the only person, rather, that we can truly depend on, that we can lean on in every situation, no matter what's going on in life, is God, because he depends on absolutely nothing and nobody. Anything else in life, in this universe, can completely just disappear in a moment. But God is the only one who can truly sustain us no matter what is going on in life. Anything. We, a lot of times we'll go around in life and we'll, we'll be like, you know what, God, just show me that you're there. Show me that you love me. Show me some kind of a miracle, a sign, something. I'm going to do something. I want you guys to do something with me, okay? I want you to take your two fingers. I want you to put it right here, okay? You feel that? That's a heartbeat. Guess what? You are a walking, breathing miracle. You are the most incredible miracle that God has ever created. So next time you start feeling like you're alone, like God doesn't care that he's left you, you're wondering, what, you know, God, give me a sign, give me a miracle, all you got to do is look in the mirror. You are a walking, breathing miracle. And it's all because of what God has done. Literally, again, the very air that we breathe only is there, only exists because God placed it there. So God is creator. He is outside of time. He created everything. The book is about God, right? That's all in the first verse of the very first chapter. we got three chapters to cover, so we got a lot of ground to keep on going. We're going to keep on going here. After the first verse, we have this creation account and several verses. It talks about what was created, when it was created, the day, um, all these different things that, that goes on. And, and there's a couple big, there's so many things that we can see in this, but there's a couple big things that I want to hit on here, okay? For one, we already kind of spoke about one of them, the fact that when God creates, he literally creates out of nothing. He speaks the word, bam, it's there, literally. He just like says the word. And, and what happens is in the Bible, when we go and we read this account, I encourage you, if you haven't done it, go and read it. If you have, read it again. Um, it, it's great. So every time that God creates something, again, he speaks the word, and it's there. It makes matter from nothing. But then the word tells us, and it was so. Every time, every, it was so. So what, what that means is this wasn't some hard, labor-type, intensive, took tons of time to do. God literally spoke the word, and bam, it's there. It's there. That's how God creates. That's how God created. The second thing that we can't miss in this creation account is when God created man, the first human ever. Let's check this out. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 20 says, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. So there's a couple of big things that I want to hit on here. First off, first off, if you didn't catch it, God just spoke about himself in the plural. He just did three times in one sentence. He spoke about himself in the plural. Now what's going on with that? So many times, several times, we cannot escape. When we really know the Bible, when we read the Bible, we understand the context of the Bible, there's only one God. This is all throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, several times. We cannot escape that fact when we truly read the Bible and understand the context. There is one God. So why is God speaking himself about himself in the plural here? This is one of many references where God, he tells us, he shows us the Trinity. The Trinity, one God, one God in essence, one God in nature, represented in three separate persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. A plural of majesty, one God nature three separate divine persons the other thing that we see 
that I want to hit on here is this word image. Catch that? We're creating the image of God, the very likeness of God. Now, this doesn't, when it says the image of God, a lot of times we think image like what I see, right? So this isn't speaking about, you know, the flesh and bone part. Like, for example, it's not saying that God is flesh and bone like we are flesh and bone. It's not saying that. Even though Jesus did become flesh and bone like us, it's not saying that. It's saying something else. It's talking about the image, so the likeness that we have with God. God created us with this. These things like, for example, he is a creator. He is a designer, the ultimate creator, the ultimate designer. He created us with this natural desire, ability to create, to design. We, we do it in different ways. Like, don't give me a hammer because I'm probably going to hit my, my, my thumb or something. It's going to be horrible. But some of you can create, can design different things, write things, whatever it may be. We are created with these abilities and with this desire to work. Also in the, in the creation account, man is created to rule over the earth. We're created to rule over the earth. There's so many different things, emotions, feelings. We can feel love, joy, peace. We can feel these things like God feels them. So we're created in his image and his likeness with all these different things. But there's one big thing, one really, really big thing that we are created in the likeness of God for. And there's a very, very big reason for this. It's relationship. It's relationship. We are created from the beginning for relationship. Now, again, we just talked about this. God, um, one God, one God, right? One God nature, one God in essence, represented in three separate divine persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They've been in relationship, perfect union, relationship with each other for all of eternity, right? And what happens, God creates us in his image for relationship, and he invites us, draws us in, woos us, into relationship with him. We were created from the beginning for relationship with God. From the beginning. And here's something else about the image of God that we've got to understand. Every single one of us is created in the image of God. And what that means is every single one of us is created with incredible value and significance. Every single one of us. And the extent to which you believe this or do not believe this will determine the way that you treat other people in your relationships. And I'm not just talking about intimate relationships. You know, uh, a father and a son, a spouse, uh, you know, your, your parents, close friendships. I'm not just talking about those. I'm talking about anybody that you come into contact with. The waitress or the waiter that you may see after church today. The, the homeless person that you pass on the street. The person that you pass in the grocery store, in the gas station. The way that you treat those people is determined by how much you believe this or do not believe this. The fact that we are creating the image of God, the very likeness of God, all of us with value and significance. And when we do not believe this, when we don't believe this, what will happen is we start looking at each other, our relationships, intimate and non-intimate, we start seeing people as simply a means to an end. We start seeing people as a means to an end. What can I get out of this person? What can this person do for me? How can I benefit from this person? Right? That's how we start looking at each other. And this ends up leading to fake, plastic, just superficial at best relationships. We are so, we are meant for so much more than that, guys. We are meant for so much more than that. We were created for so much more than that. And I want to hit on, I want to hit on this relationship bit with each other a little bit more. We're created 
for relationship with God from the beginning, this perfect relationship, but we're also created from the beginning for relationship with each other. So in the creation account, going back to that creation account there in Genesis, uh, especially in 1 and then 2 too, um, every time that God creates something, notice that it says, he says it's good. So literally he creates it, he speaks the word, bam, it's there, it comes into existence, and it is so, literally, right there, right? And then he says, it's good, it's good. And then when you go back, you read the creation account, you're going to see he creates something, it's good, he creates something, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Every time he creates something, it's good. I'm going to tell you something, you are not an accident, you are not a mistake. God does not make junk, he does not make mistakes. You are valued, you are significant, you are loved, and you are cherished, and do not ever let anyone tell you otherwise. Do not ever let anyone tell you otherwise. Every single one of us is made in the image of God. But here's this thing. Throughout the whole creation account, all these times that God says it's good, there's one time where God says something's not good. There's only one time. But God did not make a mistake that he had to go back and correct. He did this on purpose. He put this here on purpose. It's like the Bible is screaming at us. Look, all these times it says it's good. If you read this and you actually pay attention, you're going to see it. It just pops out at you. Like, what is this? It's not good. He's telling us something. He wants us to know something that is so important. It is so key. Let's check this out. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for what? For man to be alone. That's the only thing. It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. Now again, guys, God did not make a mistake that he had to go back and correct. God does not make mistakes. Everything he does is good. He knows what he's doing. He does it intentionally. But he did this on purpose to show us. Guys, don't miss this. This is so important. You were not just created for a relationship with God. You were created for a relationship with each other. We are created for a relationship with each other from the beginning. It is not good for man to be alone. And what's significant about this text, catch this, is this is before Eve, right? This is Adam. God said it's not good for man to be alone. But what's interesting about this? What, what do we catch? Adam's not alone. Adam's got God. Adam has got God. God is specifically talking about us. We are created from the beginning for relationship with God, relationship with each other. We're going to talk about the type of relationship we're created for from the beginning um, here in a bit. A perfect relationship. Created for relationship. Now here's the thing. This text, when you go down, you read this text, it is specifically talking about marriage. Right? Adam and Eve, and actually you, you read about that on down in the account, the different verses right there. talks about marriage. Two become one. They join one flesh. talks about the unity, the intimacy um, between a husband and wife. But there's a broader picture here. There's a broader picture than just the marriage. Yes, it's talking specifically about marriage. But the broader picture is we are created for each other, as well as God, relationship with God for each other. We can't miss that. We can't miss that. That's why, that's why life groups are so incredibly important to us here at Victory Church. They are so important. It's not just something that we just add to the side, like, hey, if you'd like to do this, you can go do this. It's like, man, no, no, please do this. It is so important to do life together. Why? Because we are literally designed for relationships. We are created for relationships. 
and life groups, especially today in the 21st century, it helps us to actually do life together as a church, as a body of Christ. Not just to get together and talk about the Bible, but to get together and talk about, hey, what's going on in your life? Tell me about you. Tell me what's going on. How can I pray for you? How can I help you? How can I encourage you? Pointing each other to Jesus. That's what we were created for. Guys, the first life group ever was not, it was not started in some 21st century church. You realize that, right? First life group was not started in some 21st century church. It was started from the beginning with Adam and Eve. And they did life together. They didn't just sit around talking about God, singing hymns all day, and that's all they did, right? That's not all they did. People talk about, you know, and, and even when, it, when we talk about heaven, talk about this eventually, and it, that, that's not what we're going to be doing all the time, talking about God, singing hymns all day. It's not what they did. Of course they talked about God, how awesome he is, what he's done. Of course they talked about that, but they also talked about each other. They talked about the world around them. They talked about the things they wanted to do, what they were doing. They did things together. They did life together. They did life together. I'm going to tell you something. Too, too many times in churches, a lot of times, these small groups will kind of form. And it seems like the only focus is the Bible. Okay? It seems like the only focus is the Bible and a lot of small groups, whatever you want to call the groups. Okay? Now, hear me on this. The Bible, it's not just important, it is imperative that you read the Bible on a consistent basis, that you know the Bible, the Word of God. The more that you know the Bible, the more you're going to know about God, right? And the more you're going to develop that relationship, the Christian maturity, right? It is imperative that we know the Word of God. We are commanded to know the Word of God. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Dare I say, if, if all we do when we get together as Christians and small groups, if all we do, the only focus is the Bible, dare I say, have we missed the entire point? Have we missed the entire point? As we were created for relationship, if our only focus in our Christian lives is the Bible, we have substituted a relationship with God and a relationship for each, with each other with a relationship with God's word. When we elevate the word of God above God himself, then what happens is we start worshiping his word rather than him. It's literally called bibliolatry. Idolatry. We have to understand what the Bible is, the purpose of the Bible. Yes, it is holy. Yes, we need to know God's word. But we have to understand what it is. It is a road map back to him, back to a right relationship with him. We can have a relationship with each other about how holy God is. That's what the Bible is all about. It's almost like a person that's struggling in their marriage. They're having a lot of issues in their marriage. Things aren't going well. It's like, what do I do? I don't know what to do. It's like every, everything that I do, it just I mess up. I do something wrong. I say the wrong thing. I don't know what's going on. My marriage is in shambles. So they go, they go out and they buy a bunch of marriage books you know, biblically founded marriage books, right? They start reading these things, which is a good thing. They need to do that, especially the biblical truths in those things. You need to read that. They start reading these marriage books, but then, then what they start doing, they start spending so much time in the marriage book trying to learn about the marriage, trying to, you know, figure out, oh, this is how I can have the perfect marriage, right? But then they don't spend any time with their wife. They don't spend any time in the marriage. Does that make sense? It's about relationship with God, relationship with each other. The Bible helps us 
in that relationship. We worship God. We do not worship the Bible. Now, something else that's important for us to know, we talked about this a second ago, the kind of relationship that, we're, that we were created to have from the beginning, the kind of relationship. Let's check this out in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. It says, both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. But the man and his wife were naked, but felt no shame. And the reason that this text tells us that they, they were naked and, and, and they felt no shame, first of all, the whole nakedness bit, that's just simply meaning that they were completely open. They were completely transparent. They had nothing to hide with each other. Completely open, completely transparent. And the reason that they felt no shame is there was no shame. There was no guilt. There was no sin, no struggles, nothing. Perfect world perfect relationship they felt none of these things that's why we have this incredible desire and this need for authentic relationships in the world that we live in we were created for these perfect relationships but when we look around at the relationships that we have now so many they're marred by sin we were we so fake and plastic with each other we wear all of these masks mask after mask after mask and it's just so fake because we were created for so much more. We were created to have these open, honest, transparent relationships with each other. As Christians, we're not only called to so much more in our relationships, we were created for so much more. We're created for so much more. Now here's the thing. None of the relationships that we have here on earth can ever satisfy us right here right now and we know that that's that's no that's not new news to us none of the relationships here on earth can ever satisfy us because they are marred by sin there's so much brokenness and corruption and chaos in the world we have these plastic these fake relationships we wear masks all the time so what happened if we were created for this perfect relationship with god perfect relationship with each other, then what happened? That's what we're going to talk about next. Something happened that destroyed our relationships with God and with each other. So first, from the beginning, Adam and Eve, again, they're, they're created perfect in this perfect world, perfect relationship. They have no, not only shame, guilt, struggles, pains, all these other things. They don't even have any debt. They don't have any like financial issues, no bills to pay. Are you kidding me? If I didn't have any bills to pay, that alone would be incredible. They didn't have any of this stuff to worry about. Not at all. And they're placed in this garden by God, and God says, okay, you've got this whole world. It's all yours. It's perfect. You've got a perfect relationship with me, perfect relationship with each other. It's yours. The whole world is yours. But there's one rule. There's only one rule. You've got the, it's all for you. One rule, don't eat from just this one tree. This one tree, the fruit from that one tree, don't eat that. Everything else is at your disposal. Rule over it. Rule over it in this perfect world that they're living in. And they mess it up. So, and we'll get to that. Here's the thing. A lot of, a lot of theologians, a lot of people will go back and forth with this. They want, okay, why did God put this daggone tree in this garden? What is up with this tree, man? Why did God put that there in the first place? Right? Like, he could have just not ever put that there, and then we'd be fine. Right? So what's up with that? 
Here's the thing. I believe this with all my heart. Here's the thing. This was a love test. This was a love test. So here's what I'm talking about with that. God calls us into relationship. We were made for relationship with him. He's been in relationship, one God, especially in three divine persons. He's been in relationship with, his, you know, with, with in the Trinity for all of eternity. Calls us into relationship. But here's the thing. He invites us into relationship. He does not force it. The word tells us that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. He is the ultimate gentleman. He does not force relationship onto us. So here we have Adam and Eve. Everything's created. He's like, I've given you this entire world. It's all perfect. Perfect relationships. But here's the thing. You have a choice. He gave them Why? Because he did not force this relationship on them. That's not love. That's not love. If you force something on somebody, then they would be forced into this love relationship. God gave them the choice, and he didn't make it hard. One tree right there. That's it. This was a choice. Do you truly love me? Do you truly trust me? I love you so much. I've created all of this for you. You know, I'm providing everything for you. You don't need anything else. It's perfect. You don't have any worries. Go subdue the world. It's yours. But if you don't trust me, if you want to do your own thing, I will give you the choice. And that's what he does. And that's not only true for them, guys. That's true for us. Again, the word tells us that Jesus stands at the door. He knocks. He loves us so incredibly much. He's done so much for us. And then he invites us, draws us in, but he allows us to make the choice to be in that relationship with him. Let's check out what happens next in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. It says, Now the serpent, was the, the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, But about the fruit in the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it, or you will die. No, this is a serpent. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes, catch this, will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So there's a couple big things I want to hit on here. First, the way that the serpent, this is Satan talking through the serpent, the way that he talked to Eve, okay? We see that Eve, if she had known, if she had known verbatim what God had said, like, no, this is what God had said, then she could have told him right then and there, no, you're lying. That is not what God said. This speaks to the importance of us knowing the word of God, knowing what he says, because Satan, Satan just doesn't just come out like way out here in left field. He, he hits us in those weak spots. He knows our weak spots. That's why it's so important for us to know the word of God. What he does, he'll come up, if this is following after Jesus, he'll come up right, out, right here, right here, right next to us. And it almost seems like, you know what, yeah, this is the word of God. You know, somebody gave me this advice, somebody preached this sermon, that sounds really good, right? Yeah, that, that's right. But then what happens is, it seems so close, but then before you know it, after time, you're way off here, headed towards a spiritual cliff. That's what Satan does. Literally, I mean, it started in the beginning, the very first sin. He hasn't changed. It's not like he's just good at deceiving us. He is the chief deceiver. He is excellent at deceiving us. Why, again, it's so important for us to know the word of God. And something else I want to hit on this, whenever you get advice, whenever you hear a sermon, whenever you hear my sermon, whatever else, check it with the word of God. Check it with 
the word of God, okay? I am fallible. I, I am a man, okay? And, and, and anybody else in this world, we are all fallible. But the word of God is infallible. The word of God is perfect and will not lie to you, will not um, set you astray. Check it with the word of God. The second thing that we see um, is that this lie, Satan's lie, if they were to eat this fruit, is that they would be equal to God. Now, this isn't talking about the image of God, the likeness of God. That, that's not what this is talking about, okay? What this is talking about is that they would be equal to God and power and authority. So in other words, he's essentially saying, if you eat this, you are going to be, you're not going to need God because you're going to be your own God. You're going to have the same power, the same authority. That's what he's talking about. You're not going to need God anymore because you're going to be your own God if you eat this fruit. That's what he's talking about. And when we understand this, when we understand this, and we'll start to understand the fact that when we sin, what we're doing is we're telling God, okay, I don't want you to be God over my life anymore. I don't want you to be God in this area, maybe this area over here, but not this area, right? I want to be God over that. In fact, get off my throne. That's my throne. Guys, this is cosmic treason. This is cosmic treason against the God of the universe, literally telling him that you want to take his throne every time that we sin. That's what Adam and Eve are doing here, and that's what we do every time that we sin. That's why this is such a big deal, and, and a lot of people kind of stumble over this. We're, we're, we're so good, I really should say we're so bad about like ranking or weighing our sins, right? It's like, oh, this is a 10 up here. This is a murder, right? That's horrible, but you know, wait, this, what I did over here, nobody knows about this. It's not a big deal. Like nobody knows about this. And because of that, it's, it's like a one. It's barely even a sin. I'm just going to do this real quick. It's okay. Hey, this was just a few little white lies. It's not a big deal, right? Not a, I cheated on my taxes or something. It's, it's okay. Not a big deal, right? We rank these sins as if we're the judge. And what's crazy is it must be pretty convenient to rank our own sins to make ourselves God so we can determine what's right and what's wrong, right? It must be pretty convenient, but we do it all the time. We beat around the bush, and we do this. The reason that we do this is because of sin, because we want what we want when we want it. We want what we want when we want it. Because every single sin, no matter how small or insignificant you think it is, it is cosmic treason against the God of the universe. Every time that you sin, you are literally essentially telling God, get off my throne. In this area of my life, I am God, not you, or in my entire life. This is also why it's so important for us to have accountability partners. We're so bad about lying to ourselves, beating around the bush. We'll lie to ourselves, manipulate ourselves. If you are your own accountability partner, you have the worst accountability partner in the world not be our own accountability partner. I will lie to myself all day long. I mean to. We'll give other people advice. We'll say, hey, don't do this because this will happen. Don't do that. But then what do we do? We turn around and we go do the same thing. Why? Because sin makes us stupid. It really does. We don't think straight. We need each other. Speaking truth and love into each other's life. We need each other. We need accountability. It's not just something that's important or imperative. We're literally called to accountability. Let's keep on going in this story. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says, The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delighted to look at it and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some, of her, some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now hold up here. Hold up here. See, here we have this dude, Adam. He's, 
It tells us he's there the entire time. This dude, this serpent, Satan, is literally seducing his wife, lying to his wife about to destroy his wife's life. And he stands there literally while he does it, and he does absolutely nothing. He doesn't even say one word, just stands there. But here's the thing, how often do we do the same thing? How often do we do the same thing? Guys, we have an enemy. Satan, the demonic influences around the world. We struggle with sin. We struggle with different things. So, yes, so often when our Christian brothers and sisters, they're going through different things, through different struggles, their relationships, their marriages are crumbling apart, and we do absolutely nothing. We say nothing to them. I'm not talking about being harsh or being mean to them. I'm talking about the speaking the truth and love. Speaking truth to them. We do absolutely nothing to them. If your friend, if your wife, if your whoever it may be, was sitting there getting beat up and robbed right in front of you, would you do nothing? Then why do we do nothing? Why do we say nothing, speaking the truth and love to each other? We need each other, guys. And then what does Adam do? Not only does he do nothing, says nothing, but then he eats the fruit. He participates in this and eats the fruit as well. And then next in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were open. Now, here's the thing. Again, Satan takes God's word and he'll he'll kind of twist it. So a couple, a little bit of, of it, it's like it seems, okay, yeah, this is right. Yeah. Because he was right. Your eyes will be open. But then here's, here's what happened. He said, You'll be like God. You'll be God essentially. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is where the lie comes into place. And they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Satan lied to them, deceived them to trap them. Before we talked about this, they were naked. They were completely open, honest, transparent with each other. Perfect relationship. And what we see here instantly is the repercussions, the horrible, hideous repercussions of sin. Instantly. The open, honest, transparent your authentic relationship that they had with nothing between them, all of a sudden, they feel shame, they feel guilt, they have to cover themselves. Instantly. And the other thing, there's something else, we're going to read about this in a moment that happens. All these things instantly happen when sin enters the world. It's one of the saddest um, few verses in the entire Bible. Let's check this out, Genesis 3, 8 through 10. Again, this is the repercussions, the hideous repercussions of sin. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. Hold up for just a second. This right here was a consistent thing. They had a perfect relationship with God. Face-to-face relationship with God. Perfect. He spent time with them in this garden. Keep on going in this. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, this is Adam talking to God, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. He hid from God. Up to this point, God and Adam have had this perfect relationship. I mean, since the day that Adam is created, this perfect relationship, this love relationship, complete openness with each other, And not only has there been separation between him and Eve and him and God, but it's so dramatic. It's so horrible 
That Adam is literally, he goes from this perfect relationship with God, love relationship, intimacy in his purest form, to now it's so bad that he's scared and he's hiding from God. He's hiding from him. And the results of sin, they continue showing themselves as Adam blames both Eve and God. He has the audacity to blame God for what he did. Check this out, Genesis 3.12. It says, the man replied, the woman... You gave me, then he points to the woman again, she um, gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. He has the audacity to blame God, man. Does this sound like anybody else that we know? Does this sound like anybody else? Maybe us? Maybe us? We are so quick to point the finger at other people, aren't we? And God. We're so quick. As soon as something happens, as soon as we do something, something goes wrong, it's your fault. It's your fault. God, it's your fault. All the time. And that's what they do. That's what they do. And the blame game continues in the story when Eve blames the serpent. They're just blaming, pointing the finger all over the place. Guys, make no mistake about it. Make no mistake about it. The judgment that we face from God, the, the struggles, the hardships, the pains, the chaos, the brokenness that we've seen in the world around us, it is not a result of what God has done. It is a result of what we have done. It is what we have done. So often people are so quick to point the finger at God, to blame God for what's going on. But God created us in this perfect world with a perfect relationship with him, perfect relationship with each other. That's what we were created for. Literally from the beginning, that's what we were created for. Then he gives this choice. Why? He gives a choice because he loves us that much. The choice was just an incredible sign of his love. How much he loves him. How much he loves us. It's not God's fault. It's not God's fault that the, this perfect world and our perfect relationships have been flawed by sin. The quickest way to find somebody that is the result, the repercussions of the sin, to find somebody to blame by finding a mirror. We're the ones, guys, we're the ones that have invited sin into our life. We're the ones, not God. Not God, every single one of us. Here's the thing. This story doesn't end here. It doesn't end here. We're going to kind of wrap up a little bit of this. And it's going to set the tone somewhat for the next sermon. But this story does not end here, guys. This is, in the, in the creation account, we get a very small glimpse of God's incredible love, right? We see his love, the perfect world, the perfect relationships. But here's the thing. You have to continue on in this story to see the links, to see the heights, to see the full measure of God's incredible love. Because this story is not just about one man and one woman that lived thousands of years ago. This is a story about us, what God has done for us, his incredible love, his grace, his freedom, the redemption that he has for us, what he has done for us. This story is about that. See, next in this story, we're going to see what is known as the first good news. The first good news, where God casts judgment on Satan, and he ushers in the greatest plan of redemption that the world has ever known or will ever know. Let's check this out. The last text, Genesis 3, 15. It says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. The offspring, so God is talking about Satan. He's talking to Satan. Casting judgment on Satan. The offspring of Satan is, his, is the demons. 
So Satan and the demons, and he's talking about how you will strike his heel. When it says his heel, it's a reference to the fact that they will cripple humanity. We see the results of sin, of the demonic oppression in the world, right? We know this already. But then here's the thing. There's another offspring. The he is the first mention of Jesus in the Bible. The he is Jesus. He will strike your head. This is a fatal blow. What this is saying, in other words, is that Jesus Christ would defeat Satan and his demons and would overcome sin altogether. This is the first promise, the gospel, first time it's seen. This speaks to God's incredible love for us, guys. His incredible love. God is, he is holy, he is perfect, he will judge our sin. But even through his judgment, through his wrath, we see his incredible love for us. We see his incredible love. The hope, the freedom, the redemption that we have because of Jesus Christ, because of what God has done for us. And it is only possible because of what Jesus Christ has done. What Jesus would do thousands of years later after this point, when he would go to the cross with their sin, their shame, their guilt, the repercussions of what they had done, put it on his back, go up to Calvary, die in their place. He died so that we can live. He died so that we can live. Jesus bought us our freedom and our redemption. And it's only because of him. He is the only way to salvation. It is only through Jesus Christ. Guys, even in our death, here's the thing, even in our death, in this life, we can still see God's incredible love and grace. Even in our death in this life. Why is that? Here's why. Because of Adam and Eve, if God had not cast them out of the Garden of Eden, there's this other tree, the tree of life. They could have eaten and lived forever in this sinful state, these sinful, marred relationships. That's why God's incredible love and grace can even be seen in death in this life. Because we have a hope and a future past this life. We do not have to struggle with the sins, the repercussions of our sins, the marred, broken relationships for all of eternity because of what he has done. And then the need for sacrifice. Lastly, the need for sacrifice can also be seen. And we read later in this, in this account, again, go back and read it, Genesis 1 through 3. There was this incredible need for sacrifice. See, Adam and Eve, they see that they're naked. They cover themselves with fig leaves. God knows that's not enough. And his incredible love, what does God do? We see later on in this text that God covers them more efficiently. But in order to cover them, the result of their needing covering is sin. In order to cover them, in order to cover their sin, what does God do? He covers them with skin with animal skin. The first sacrifice ever, and it points to the need for sacrifice because of what sin has done. This points to uh, the sacrificial system. We're going to be talking about that later, the need for sacrifice. But more importantly, it points to the greater sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, where he sacrificed once and for all, for us. But then also, just as God covered Adam and Eve with animal skin, Jesus Christ covers us from head to toe in his righteousness. We are covered in the righteousness of Jesus from head to toe. So now when God looks at us, he no longer sees the cosmic treason. He no longer sees the sin. He sees the righteousness, the perfection of Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus has done, we now have a hope and a future of eternity where there will be no pain, no struggles, Perfect relationships, both with God and with each other. 
And this is all because of what Jesus has done. The incredible good news, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Worship team, you guys can come on up. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you have done. Thank you for this good news. God, I pray that you resonate this into our hearts and our minds so that we understand what you created us for, that you love us so much, and that in this plan of redemption, you are bringing us back into this right relationship, this perfect relationship with you, with each other, for all of eternity. Resignate that into our hearts, into our minds. Help us to live out our life in light of that. I pray that this news becomes so good to us that we cannot imagine, we cannot live our life without telling other people about it, about the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that if there are any, any people in here who have not been impacted by this good news, the gospel message of hope, freedom, and redemption, I pray that you open their eyes. I pray that you convict. I pray that you convict all of us, God. Break any chains, any barriers in our life that are keeping us from you. Because ultimately we understand that it's all about relationship. You want relationship with us because you love us so incredibly much. Help us to have a relationship with you and break down any barriers in our path. I pray all of these things in your mighty and precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.